It's good to be here, amen. Good to be in this place. Well, four of us feel like that anyway. Well, it's just a blessing. Good to have uh, Brian and Patty with us this morning. They came all the way from Colorado to have church with us this morning. Man, it's just good to see you. And, and uh, Kathy's with them. She's a part of this group. We go way back. And, uh, you know, Brian and I uh, have had special times of fellowship and seeking the Lord together. And remember some of those watch nights. And, man, my heart goes to those things. And I just uh, thank God for, um, you know, and, and we're in that season even now. You know, we're on day 63 of our uh, one thing prayer. We've been meeting for 63 days and um, just going hard after God. We're on day six, day seven. 63. Day 63 on the one thing. What's day seven on the Daniel fast? Many of you are along with this and, uh, and we're just, you know, people go, what's all this about? It's just going after the Lord. We're seeking this one thing if I desired of the Lord and this one thing I will seek after. It's just my passion. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm at this place in, in my journey where I just want God more than anything. I want, I want him more than I want his his benefits even. There's lots of benefits, and thank God for all of them, and he's freely bestowed all of his benefits. But, but I've went through, a, I went through a, an age where I believe the church put all the emphasis on the benefits, and we forgot about him. And it was all about the stuff that God would do for you instead of the God who wanted to dwell in you. And I believe we're going into a season where there's a new awakening, there's a new uh, rising of hearts who are hungry for him. And it's, it's just changing, it's changing my perspective, it's changing my heart, it's changing, uh, it's just changing me. And so that's, that is the yearning of my heart and the yearning that I have for this church is that, that we be a church of his presence. We, we're going after him. And I just want to say this because in going after him, I've spent a good deal of the last 63 days in repentance of some form or another. Not the bad kind of repentance where I'm, you know, repenting like under the condemnation of, of darkness, but under the light of God I just see there's more, God, there's more, and forgive me for being satisfied for where I am. The kind of repentance that says, Lord, I need to change the way I'm looking at things. I need to change the way that I'm seeing things. I need my heart lifted up, and so in that time, we're just, we're just crying out for him. And so this morning as I get into, did you get it? Yeah, yeah, I sent this just a few minutes ago, and... Uh, these guys are so amazing. Alec came up to me during worship and said, do you have a PowerPoint for today? And I said, yep, and here it is. So we're in part three of this, and uh, it's, in, it's, it's prayer is. And, and in part one, we talked about the mystery. And I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't um, so I, I'm taking this like week by week. So um, in week one, I talked about the mystery that, how God has tied himself to man through prayer. And the point of that being that that's a mystery that the God of the universe 
has actually limited, him, limited himself because he's put, he's put a lot of things in the control of man. And I know we talk about the sovereignty of God, and I think there's a lot of theology that is in that realm that has, that has uh, paralyzed the church. Because we think, well, if it's, it's just going to happen anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it, so we just wait and let things happen. But how many of you know that God, God has put into our hands um, a lot of authority and a lot of responsibility that has to do with governing this, governing this earth and, and has limited himself by putting that in our hands. And that's a mystery to me, why God would do it like that. Why would God of the universe put it in our hands? But that's how, that was his plan when he created Adam. It was to give him the authority to rule and reign in the earth. And then when Adam blew it and gave it all away, uh, Jesus came to gain it all back. And now there's no wall he won't kick down. In order for you to come into your place of authority. And here's what Jesus taught us. He said in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, but you, but you, when you pray, when you pray. Notice he didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father in, in the secret place. That's where, that's where we go after God. It's in the secret place. You know, the scribes and Pharisees who he was contrasting here, if you read this in the context of the verses, who loved to pray in order, they prayed in order to be seen of men. He said, but you, when you pray, you pray, you go into the secret place, shut your door and pray to your father who is in, in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, it's what, you, it's what we do in the secret place that makes all the difference in the world. And, and, and for the idea, uh, l listen to this, God has put the, even the salvation of the world in the hands of the church. He did not commission the angels to go preach the gospel. He said, church, you go preach the gospel cast out demons, heal the sick, and, and, and raise the dead. And, and, he, and, and Jesus gave the church the power to do that, then gave us the Holy Spirit to get the job done, and that rests in our hands. And you can see that. We're going to read that in this verse. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, so you see, the, see what he's saying? He, he was, he was, his heart was heavy because he saw people who were weary and scattered and broken and, and, he, and, he's, and he, said, he said they were like sheep who had no shepherd. They just roam, they just wander. They're subject to danger. They're, they're subject to the, to the wolves and the things of the land. And, and he said to his disciples, the tr harvest truly is plentiful. The harvest is among these who are weary and scattered. The harvest is among the weary and the scattered. It's people who have no shepherd. And the harvest truly is plentiful. There's a lot of people like this, in other words. That's what he's saying. You get it? He's, he's saying there's a lot of people like this. And, and he says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest 
Therefore, pray through the Lord of the harvest. Why? Why would we? Because that's what he put in our, he put that responsibility in our hands. And he said, pray like this, Lord, send out laborers into his harvest. Father, I just pray for laborers to go out into this harvest, to go out into this city and find the scattered and find the broken and find the people who have no shepherd and no direction, no protection. Lord, I, I pray for laborers to rise up in this church. Lord, I just commissioned the church of, at, at, in Portage, the Big C Church, to take its place because here's the thing, church, we, we have this responsibility. This is on us. And so the harvest depends on how we're, how we're engaging the, the Lord of the harvest. How are you engaging the Lord of the harvest? Are you going after the Lord? Because that's in that mystery, he says, if you'll just do this and go after me, I will reward you openly. Folks, we've got to get we have got to get serious about winning our city. And I don't think we're going to win our city by just having services on Sunday mornings. And so this this mystery is the first part that we talked about and it's on the podcast. Number 2, then we talked in part 2 about the ministry. And it says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the visible heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, my beloved, in you I am well pleased and delighted. Now I've read over all of the accounts of this because this this. This baptism of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels. We know that this is, we call this the, the public um, launching of Jesus' ministry. And, uh, and this is when he went out and he found John the Baptist and, and all, all four Gospels record this. But, but Luke records something that none of the other Gospels do. It's, it, see that underlying part there? It says, now, when all the, while the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized. Jesus walked up. And each of the Gospels tells a different, you know, the, John saying, I, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, suffer it to be so for now because we've got to fulfill all of this. And so John submitted and he baptized Jesus. But here's what Luke says that, no one else says it. it. says Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying. Now, isn't that interesting? None of the other, uh, of the other three writers wrote this down. But so you know, we always see Jesus going down. You see in the movies, and Jesus comes up. But Luke notices that Jesus was in prayer. He was in the spirit of prayer. He came out of the water, and I don't know if he walked out of the water. I, I don't. He doesn't really. He doesn't really make it clear how this went down. But he went into prayer, and while he was praying, the visible heaven was opened. And I want to submit to you this morning that when the church prays, heaven is opened. And listen to me, a lot of what's going on in our world, in our country, that we say, oh, the devil this, the devil that, the devil this, is the result simply that the church is not praying. But while he was praying, the visible heaven was open, 
and the Holy Spirit descended. I mean, this is so powerful. I believe this is a prophetic this is a prophetic thing. This not only speaks of the act of baptism, it's a prophetic me message of what's going to happen when the church surrenders up to Jesus and we really let him immerse us into, into his purpose and his will and heaven is, is going to open. The church is going to take its place in prayer because the ministry of the church is prayer. I know some of y'all don't, don't like that because you thought it was like, getting up in front of people. But getting up in front of people is the easiest part of ministry. Any dummy can do it. I do it every Sunday. But, but, but the, the, the challenge of real ministry is not getting in front of people. It's getting in front of the Lord. And let me tell you something, the power of your ministry in front of people will always be tied to how you stand before the Lord. And if you're not in right standing before the Lord, I don't care how many people are coming to hear you and I don't care all the hoopla and the holler about you, you may be the flavor of the month. But are you hearing this endorsement, this is my son. I really like him. See, that's the endorsement that we need right now in the church. This is the endorsement that we, we went after. We want, we want the world to love us. We want things and people to like us. We want to we be accepted. But the, the, the deal here is that as we go into this, the ministry that God is trying to birth, look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus do then from then on? Well, first he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. And he fasted. Okay, moving right along. So when he comes out of that, what does he start doing? He starts praying for people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed for people. And, and as he prayed for people, people started getting healed. People started getting delivered. He, he prayed for people and demons came out. He prayed for people and blind eyes opened. He prayed for people and they got delivered and set free. He prayed for people. What do you think the church should be doing right now? Praying for people. How many of you want God to see, how many of you want to see more healings in your life? Amen. Then pray for more people. How many of you want to see more people saved through your testimony? Amen. Then testimony to more people and pray for them. That's the ministry of prayer that's birthed. And then, and then I want to go to part three today. So get this. We have, the, we have the mystery, the ministry. Today, it's the mastery. I didn't even plan this like this. I've been going week to week. But I thought, wow, that's really Baptist right there, the three M's. No, I mean, that's, that's great how they do that. And I thought, wow, I, I, I thought I should write a book. No. So here, here we go. The mastery. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to just take a few minutes here. And um, I'm going to give you an exhortation. And... 
and then I'm going to pray for you. Paul talking in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, 25, he says, do you, know, do you not know that in a race all the runners run their very best to win? How many of you have ever competed in any kind of sports or athletics? What's the point? To win. The point is to win. So he says, only one receives the prize. Now, now he's, he's using this athletic illustration to make a point. Not that we're in competition with each other, but he, I want to show you something about this race that, that I, I, I believe has to tie into the mastery side of this that is so important if you're going to be mastering prayer, which I believe is what God wants us to do. He wants us to master prayer. So he says, run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize. So here's your mindset is that I'm going to, let's just say, let's, let's replace running the race with praying. So I'm going to pray and seek God with the idea that I'm going to seize the prize and make it mine. In other words, I'm going after God because I'm going to win God. I'm going to win God's heart. You see, this is not a competition amongst ourselves. We're not in competition with other churches. I'm not in competition with any church in this city. We're all in the same church. There's only one church in this city. But here's the thing. The difference is that, that there are those in the church who are running to obtain, and there are those who are just going along for the ride. And so what Paul's exhorting us is to get in this race, and listen to me, I know, I'm not going to, well, all right, here we go. Are you, here we go. Run in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now, he gets, now he's going to get down to the real key to this. He says, now every athlete, now let's again, so every, every prayer, every prayer, Prayer, let's say every prayer who goes into training, this is in the Amplified, who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. In the King James, which is what I grew up on, I memorized, I learned, you know, coming up into this, and it says every man, every man who strives for the mastery. That's what he says. That's where I got this title from. But I really wanted you to see the sense of what he was saying here. So think about how this man who is striving for the mastery, here's what he does. He goes into training. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in training. You see, this is what, this is what we are preparing for as believers on the earth. How many of you know we're going into an age where the church is prophesied in the book of Revelation that we are going to rule and reign with Christ. And what we're going through right now is our training for reigning. But if you look at the church right now, the church doesn't have a mentality of we're, we're going to reign. We're taking over. We're coming into this city and we're taking over. Whatever's not of God, whatever's not the will of God, whatever's not the kingdom of God, we're going to replace it with the kingdom of God. Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth in Portage 
as it is in heaven. That's, got, that's, that's what we're training for. Let me ask you something. How would our city be different if Jesus was in charge? How would our churches be different if Jesus was in charge? How would you be different if Jesus was in charge? Every athlete goes into training and competes in the games, is disciplined. Everybody say disciplined. Disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it with, to win a crown that withers. An athlete does it to win a, an award that rusts or, or corrupts or, or, or fades and a, 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 a ribbon or a trophy that, that is temporal. But he said, as believers, we're running and we're going after a crown that is imperishable. It does not wither. It will go with you into eternity. Because one day we will all stand before God and we will give an account for what we have done. This has nothing to do with our salvation. You're not saved by works. When you stand before God in, 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 in and through the blood of Jesus, you're saved by the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we also know, according to Paul's writings, that every man is going to be, stand before God and give an account for everything he has done. And it's, our works are going to be shown to whether they're wood, hay, and stubble or gold and silver and precious stones. Are you with me? We don't hear, I know you don't hear stuff about this because, frankly, the church, isn't, the church is living in the now and the church doesn't want to hear about eternity. We all live like this is going to go on like this forever. I got news for you. We're not going on like this forever. And I got a little more insight to you. Jesus is putting things in order so he can come back and set his rule and reign up on this earth. And then you and I get to rule and reign with him. Are you with me? Y'all don't seem excited over this. And so they do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. So you see what he's saying is he's saying that, that there's, this is the striving for the mastery in, in our, our walk with God, which our walk with God has everything to do with our relationship with God, and our relationship with God has everything to do with our prayer that comes before God because prayer is the relationship. If you have a relationship with God, it's through prayer. And, and, and if you have prayer, you have a relationship with God because they're inseparable. Are you with me? And so the, the idea of prayer, I want you to bear with me here. This gets better, I, I think. I hope it gets better. So I was reading, I was reading uh, an article this week out of, a, out of Forbes magazine, actually. You know, and I just, I flipped through some of these magazines and some of these articles grabbed my attention. One of this article grabbed my attention, especially in light of what I was trying to put together. And, and then yesterday or Friday, I, I read this article and I'm like, wow, this is really good. So let me just, it's just five, it's got five little points. It has five traits of, of the greatest athletes on the earth. And here's what it says. Now listen, this is, this is a magazine. It says, there are a great number of talented athletes that will spend their entire career wondering why they do not get to the top elite level as they desire. 
There's spiritual application here. There was an athlete. Here's how Jesus would do this. There was an athlete who strived to really be great, but he couldn't figure out why he could not attain. Here's what the article says. This will often happen because they simply do not have the characteristics that are found in elite athletes. Being able to identify the characteristics are vital to how to evaluate the potential that exists in a person. Here are the common characteristics that the best athletes share. And he goes in. There's five of them. Let me give them to you. Number, or, 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 let's go here. Number num, five, the five here. Number one, extraordinary dedication. Every athlete's dedicated to his sport, but the, the elite athletes are extra dedicated. They get there early, they stay late. They go beyond the minimum. So then number two is a selfless attitude. They, they have an attitude, you know, it says this, listen to it. A selfless attitude is much of how a great athlete will operate throughout their life. It's the ability to sacrifice themselves if it helps a greater cause. They think of others and what positive they can contribute, not what they can take away from something. In other words, they have this team concept. It's how can we win one for the team? It's not about me. It's about us. It's not about I. It's about we. And so their selfless attitude is how can I be the best I can be so my team can win? Number three, communication skills. I found this one interesting. I went, hmm, to communication skills. And listen to what it says here. Communication skills and the ability to listen are one of the most overlooked characteristics. But there is not a successful athlete that can't do this. The better an athlete absorbs information as well as the way it is expressed can make the difference be between becoming a leader or merely doing a job. So you think about this. Communication is how we hear and how we communicate. And, and so it, it takes this. And number four is ongoing motivation. My motivation is what drives a person from the inside. Self-confidence. Confidence in your ability. I can do this. I can do this. I know people have issues, you know, in the church. We get all like... We got to get all humble. I don't think I can do this, and the Lord knows I can't do this, and all that is is a reverse form of pride because the focus is on you. But how about the attitude that I can do all things through Christ who can strengthen me? I can do this. I can, I can master this. I can do this. And so it talked, the whole article talked about these things. And so I wanted to, I wanted to take them, and I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read a few verses out of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and I want, to, want you to see if you can't see with me what these characteristics involve. All right, Romans chapter 8, you ready? There, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment, or, or I'm going to put in here, insert in here, no losing. There's no loss there is now no condemnation, no loss for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. So here's the dedication right here. Paul's telling us in the book of Romans 8 verse 1 that if you want to find out the key to, to winning in life, you just have to give yourself all over to Jesus. That's what he's saying. You believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. There's no way you can lose when you dedicate yourself fully to Jesus. 
Now, what about a person who's half in and half out? We know that there is a lot of losing there because which half of you is in and which half of you is out? So really, is there a person who's half in, half out? No, you're either all in or you're all out. When it comes to the gospel, there's nobody really straddling the fence. If you're straddling the fence, you're on the wrong side. If you're a fence straddler, you are not walking in this verse right here where there is no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment. Because you know right now when I just said what I said, your conscience convicted you because you're like, yeah, I am one of those fence sitters. And you know what I got to say to you this morning? Get up and get over. It's late. It's getting late. What would happen today? Listen to me. What would happen today if all the fence sitters got on the right side? What would happen in the church? Worldwide, if all the fence sitters got up and jumped onto, onto Jesus and said, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm all in. I think it'd be pretty exciting. I think it, that's, that's the kind of church that I think God is in, intended and created, a church that's not, not halfway in, halfway out. Listen, if you're, if you're playing with things, if you, are, if you are trifling with sin, if you are compromised in some area, if God spoke to you to make something right and you haven't done it yet, you need to get on the other side of the fence. There is now, therefore, no losing to those who are going after Jesus with all their heart. I know I can't lose like this. Hallelujah. I might lose a few friends. Pastor Mike, because you're just getting a little too radical for me. But I, I just got a little word for you. What needs to happen is you, you, need, to, you need to get as radical as me, and then I won't seem so stark. Harsh to you. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. So here's the dedication side of this. Therefore, there is no condemnation, no losing, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, I, I hear people quote this all the time who are sitting on the fence. Oh, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation. That's only if you're all in. If you are in Christ Jesus. It just got really quiet in here. And you see Romans 8.1 goes on to Romans 8.2. You ready? So everybody say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I told you it's going to get better. <laughs> is it going to get better? Why isn't this moving? What did I do? There we go. So here's a selfless attitude, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free, set us free, has set us free. The selfless attitude is there, there is there is this law of the spirit of life that when you go all in for Jesus, Jesus goes all in for you. No, listen to me. Do you, don't you understand 
People say, well, God doesn't play favorites. Are you kidding me? The whole Bible is full of God playing favorites. Yeah, because God showed his love in unimaginable ways to people who sought him, pressed into him, were crazy enough to believe him against all odds. God showed himself strong to people who were willing to step out on nothing and say, God, I trust you. When Joshua stood up and said, we're going to walk around these walls seven days, God honored his word and showed up because Joshua said, I'm all in. When Moses said, come on, we're going to get out of Egypt tonight, God showed Moses to be the man of a character and integrity because Moses was all in. God always shows up for the person who will push all in and say I'm not going to do anything less than my best. So this selfless attitude is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes me free from the law of self. Because that's what the law of sin and death is. The law of sin and death is the law of self. You see what got Eve in trouble in the garden was the devil got her attention on herself. Come on, eat this and you will be wise. Do this and you will be like God. God didn't say this. Here's what you need to do. And she started thinking and giving in to them temptations, thinking, you know, all sin has its root in selfishness. If you get self-dealt with, you don't have to worry about the devil calling your name because when you die to self, you're dead. You can't tempt a dead man. My life is hid with Christ in God. Lord, I want to be so hid that nothing can draw me, where nothing can get my attention. And here's the thing, too, like most of us who, 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 even in the Christian circles, we somehow make the gospel all about us. And it's the gospel is all about him. Y'all killing me. Y'all are just killing me. Uh, (laughs) This is good preaching. I know I'm, I'm not spitting and fire and throwing fire, but this is good stuff. I'm telling you, the church, if the church could just get free of itself, the, the, listen, the church's trouble isn't the devil. We, 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 we're, the devil, the devil, he's not around here. He's, he, there's, the devil's not omnipresent, first of all. And he's only bugging people who he, the devil don't have to bug us. You know why? Because we can't get victory over our old flesh. Moving right along. (laughs) Verse 3, here's the communication skills. Get this, for what the law could not do. Let's just say it like this, what the law could not give, communicate. That is, overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power. Being weakened by the flesh. What was the the power that that made the law so so much a a message of death? It was because it, it it was the flesh. It's actually one of these, uh, um, it's one of these words that um, the, the weakened by weakened by the flesh, it's one of those paradoxes. See, the, what is the weakness of the flesh? 
What is the, it's a paradox. Think about it. It's a paradox. What is the weakness of the flesh? It's that it's so strong. And when it comes to prayer, remember when Jesus said, hey, would you guys pray for me for one hour? And they said, yeah. And they went to pray and Jesus was agonizing. Jesus was praying. He comes back and they're all sleeping. Could you not tarry with me for just one hour? And they jostled themselves and tried to get back in the attitude of prayer. And he goes off to pray and they fall asleep and he's agonizing, interceding. And he comes back and he says, here it is. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you know what the weakness of the flesh is? It's that it's so strong, it can even drown out your spirit. Because listen to me, some of you know in your heart what you need to do. But your flesh is having a hard time doing it. Some of you know you need to walk to somebody and say, I'm sorry. And your stinking flesh. Moving right along. You th listen, folks. Those are keys to breakthroughs in your life. And if you don't, if, here's, how, here's how Jesus tied it in. This is so important, he said, if you come before me and come to approach me and you got problems with somebody, leave it at the altar and go make it right. And don't bring your gift to me until you make that right. Y'all just keep getting quieter. I'm going to think you're all guilty. For what the law could not do, that is overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power, being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit, God did. Everybody say, God did. What did God did? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man and as an offering for sin, as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh he subdued it, overcame it in the person of his own son. He heard the voice of the Father, said, who will go? Who will go for me? And Jesus said, here I am. And he offered up his, his life to the Father. He was sacrificed. He was crucified. He was, he was beaten and abused and killed and laid in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. And he did all of this. And he, in that, he condemned sin in the flesh. And he showed us how to live our life in the spirit. How do we do that? Yielded to God. That's the communication part of it. How are we going to do this ever, church? How are we ever going to get this right? Well, one of these days we're going to learn the value of hearing the Holy Spirit. One day, instead of having to go back to repent for that thing, you're going to hear the Lord say, don't go there. Wouldn't it be better not to have to repent than to say it I'm going to say it or die. Yeah, you might say it and die. Because every time you go down that road of the flesh, you open the door to sin and death. And so he says, this, this is how God communicated. He listened to the need and he exchanged and spoke to the need in his son. And here's how you and I walk this out in prayer. We hear the voice of the Father. 
and we keep our hearts before him and we let him breathe in us and we don't give place to the flesh. Number four, ongoing motivation, so that the righteous, now this is verse four, notice how we're just going in order here, so that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not live our lives in the ways of the flesh, guided by worldliness and our sinful nature. So here's, here's one motivation, you know, that we can live our life by the worldliness and sinful nature, or we can live our lives in the ways of the spirit guided by his power. That's the best kind of motivation. You know, the greatest motivation comes from the inside when God writes his laws on your heart by the Holy Spirit. Everybody go like this. The Bible says he will take this heart of stone out of us and he'll give us a heart of flesh. Sometimes I ask myself, you know, how can saved people do that? How can saved people do that? But then I ask myself, well, have they, have they really given themselves all in so that they're walking in the ways of the Spirit and guided by His power because there are certain things, folks, you can't do. I'm just here to tell you, there's certain, you can't hate. You can't walk in unforgiveness. You can't walk in envy and strife. You just can't do it. Because you'll grieve the Spirit of God. But when you walk in the ways of the Spirit, you'll feel the delight of God as God takes you through these journeys. Listen, we all walk through it. Do you hear me? We all walk through it. And we get, we get I, I wish I could, I don't, I don't have time to get into it. But I'm, I want you to know that our motivation is always the Spirit of God. And so, number five, confidence. For those, who are, for those who are living according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. But those who are living according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, His will and purpose. And what happens is you get, when you set your mind on the things of God, great confidence comes in you that God is going to work His will in your life. Do you remember what it was like to be outside of God's will? In other words, let me ask you, do you remember what it was like to be lost? Some of you have been saved so long, you forgot what it's like to be outside. But then some of us have been saved so long, and we have just been walking according to the, to the things around us and the culture around us, absorbed the things in us, that we have forgotten what it is to really set your mind on the things of God and go after God. When's the last time you made an appointment with your best friend and said, hey, can we just get away and just seek God for a little bit? Let's pray together. Oh, what's wrong? i just, I just hungry for God. When's the last time you, you, you turned your plate upside down and said, I, I think I'm going to skip this meal and spend this time in the Word and going after God? Set my mind on things above. When's the last time you got up at 5.30 so you could be at a 6 a.m. prayer meeting and you drag in like you just walked out of bed? But you didn't care because you didn't come for people. You came to meet with God. You came to set your mind on things above. 
When's the last time God woke something up inside of you that said, you know, I'm going I'm to do this, and I'm, it may seem strange. It may seem like almost like extreme. But you see, that's what you do when you go for the mastery. You will do the extreme. You'll do the things that nobody thought or nobody would do. And when you do the things that nobody else will do, it gives you the mastery over the thing that you're seeking. And folks, I, I'm, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to really master the presence of God. I want to carry the presence of God with me everywhere I go. I want to walk in a room and release the presence of God, that if there's sickness there, it has to flee. If there's, if there's strife there, it's got to go. I want to walk into the room where there's a brokenhearted person, and they see in me the presence that God, that God has put in my life and I'm carrying. I want them to see there's hope, because that's what we're called to do as the church. We're here to make a difference everywhere the soles of our feet tread. I'm not here to play church. I'm not here just to build a crowd. I know, how, I know that that's what people, you know, I know. Because in the, in the flesh, we know, well, I want to be where all the excitement is. I want to be where God is. And so this kind of praying will cause you to get up early in the morning and see God. I want to tell you a story that I, that I heard from my, one of my favorite pastors. Um... And man, it just knocked my socks off because he was ministering to a lady in, a, in Texas and uh, God gave him a word for her. You know, because that's what happens again when you pray and seek God, the gifts and things of God begin to flow through you. And he, he called her out and he spoke over her and she was, an, she was a, an, a lady of, of season. And he said that God, God speaks to me and says that you are going to teach young women how to pray, and especially teach young women, young married women, how to pray for their unsaved husbands. And a collective rush went through the audience, and people just rejoiced. And he, he didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. Later, the pastor came to him and, and said, I want to tell you the story behind that woman that you just called out. And so that woman got saved as a young wife but her husband was one of those stubborn, hard-hearted guys. And she, she, he said she tried her best to drag him to things and get him to things. And she, he said, but she prayed for her husband for 42 years. For 42 years, she would go to her closet with, with, and agonize, agonize. You see, in, in, the, in the agonizing, that's really, folks, that's, that's what real prayer is all about. It's about agonizing. There's a, there's a passion in it. There's an, if, you know, I, I know a lot of our praying is cute and sweet and all of that, but I'm telling you, when you really get a burden and you get desperate with God, it's, it's, it's actually that word mastery in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the King James is from the Greek word agonizai. It's where we get our English root word agony. It's like the idea of an athlete, he, he is agonizing, his muscles are tired and sore and he wants to quit, but he keeps going, keeps pressing because he's running for the prize. She prayed 42 years. She, her husband went to Florida on a business trip from Texas. She got a call and it was the state police and they said that he had been killed in a tragic car accident and he was dead on arrival. 
she went through the funeral and everything. One month later, her phone rings. On the other end of the line, a gentleman asked for her husband by name, and she said, he's not here. In fact, a month ago, he died in a tragic car accident in Florida. He said, really? What day was that? And she, she gave immediately. She knew. She, it was the, the 23rd, whatever. I don't remember the... He said, I got a story to tell you. He said, I'm a businessman. I wear a suit and tie to work. I got up that morning, and I was doing my usual drive into work and just praying, and God spoke to me. And he told me, go park your car at the lot by the roadway. Get out and put your thumb out. Him, a seasoned man who's mastered his flesh, mastered his mind, mastered in simple obedience. He parked his car, got out on the highway, put his thumb out in a suit, and guess who picked him up? That husband. He was in, this man's from Florida. Picked him up. He said, I went with your husband and started talking to him. And by the time we got done, your husband pulled over on the road and he bowed his head and he gave his heart to Jesus. I just thought you should know that. She hung up the phone. Can you imagine this? 42 years. We pray once and if we don't get an answer, we stop, we give up. God prompts us to do something. We argue with God. We're so up in our head. We're like, that can't be God. That can't be God. God would, like, really, would the devil really speak to you and say, get out and hitchhike? Really? We argue with God. We, we fight with God. We have the, the, the biggest problem in the mastery of our, of our walk with God, our life with God, is not the devil. It's our flesh. She prayed 42 years. God answered her prayer. He dropped him off. A little bit later, he was killed. She got her prayer answered. And I'm thinking, how many of us here today are fighting in our flesh this whole thing of prayer and going after God? How many of us are struggling in our flesh to, to break through and say, God, I believe you can do this? I'm just in day 63 of this prayer thing. And I'm, my head is, is saying, should we just keep, should we do this? Is it time to let up? Is it time to... Is it time to back off? Is it time to, is it time to go on to other things? And my spirit says, no. No. So much has happened in these few days. 
Do you know, do you know Thursday was an answer to so many of these prayers? Thursday, from our, from our morning prayer time, Thursday morning, I left here and I went to a prayer meeting of Porter County pastors in Valparaiso. Something we have never done before. We're not meeting for an agenda. We're not meeting for, uh, you know, praying for a list of things. The whole purpose is to go after and press into the presence of God and see what God has to say to this region, to see what he has to say to this county. I went from that prayer meeting. We met Thursday night over at Covenant Evangelical Church where a bunch of you and a bunch of, of people from Covenant Evangelical, it's a church that's 144 years old. It's a church that's just barely hanging on for dear life. And they were going to take a vote and shut the thing down. And I asked the pastor, I said, would you please hold off on that vote and let me bring some prayer warriors and let us come into your congregation and let us start praying and calling out on the name of the Lord. Because I don't want to see a church in this city go down. I want to see the churches rise up. I want to see revival visit our city. I want to see God do something. And she said yes. And we've been meeting now for two weeks in her church. And you should, we were, we're I mean, it's just so precious what God is doing. And I'm telling you, we're just at the beginning because God is about to resurrect some things in this city. Things are going to come back to life that have been dead and absent. Churches are coming back to God. Churches are, pastors are coming together. The church is going to rise up with one voice. I tell you today, I am not going to stop. I'm not going to back up. I am going on and I want you to go with me. I need you to go with me. I need you to go with me. Because I believe together we can change the landscape of this entire city. I believe we can pray in a move of God where thousands of people will get saved. I don't mean here, I mean everywhere. I mean where Sunday mornings the church will, will function as the real body of Christ. And also mean where your children have a place to come to and where they can encounter the living God. Because I'm going to tell you, our young people are leaving the church because they're coming and they're not finding God here. They find dead forms and rituals and religion and what we need is a revisitation of the living God. Our young people are sick of our forms and they're sick of the hypocrisy and they're sick of the thing we call church. And what we need is a thing called revival. Pastor Mike, you should be careful. I'm past being careful. I want to master the call on my life. I want to master the thing called prayer that Jesus has invited every one of us into. Because you know that when you pray, things happen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. such a such a heaviness on my heart that I almost said I apologize I don't apologize I'm just carrying you can't I can't even express the burden that's on my heart I find myself getting in the presence of God and just weeping it's like my eyes are a fountain of tears
I weep over our sons and daughters. I weep over this thing called the church. I weep over what God is trying and striving to birth. And I weep over marriages. And I weep over our, uh, over our, our, our city. And yeah, I weep over our nation. Father, I just pray today for the mastery. Yeah, just the passion to, to win this prize would be planted in our hearts today. I don't want just a participation trophy. I pray, God, you'll give us a spirit to conquer, to win, to climb the mountain. God, shake us from our mediocrity, from the spirit of halfway up the mountain, and give us a spirit of Joshua and Caleb. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. Father, I release the anointing, God. God, I just ask you to help us master our flesh. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to just speak to us about the areas where our flesh has over, overtaken us and where we need to surrender to you, oh God, where we're feeding the lust of our flesh. God, I ask that you would cut off that, that line to the flesh and bring alive the life of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, where there's no condemnation, there's no loss for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. God, I'm not walking after the flesh. I'm walking after the Spirit. I'm coming after, I'm chasing you, God. I'm running you down. I wanna go after you with all of my heart. God, I pray you'll wake something up inside of us Shake it, God. Shake us loose. Oh, God, there's a revival ready to be unleashed on this generation. A third great awakening that's in the, in the offerings, God, for the people who are hungry and will seek you for it. And God, I just pray this morning, I pray that you'll forgive us. Father, I ask you to forgive us for our flesh.